You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Welcome to episode 61 of the Girls on the Grid podcast. My name is Tanea McLeod. And for today's episode, I'm joined by one of my good friends and someone that has been a part of my life for a really long time and has really helped me in getting to where I am now in my career and yeah, sort of ridden the ridden the wave with uh, me for a long time. Renee Ferris, welcome to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Renee, I just, at the top of this, I just want to touch on a little bit about how we know each other and how our lives have sort of crossed paths a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I grew up racing motocross, which a lot of people know, and Renee also grew up racing motocross, but we didn't really connect properly. I mean, my brother and your brother raced together and things like that, but we didn't really connect until I was 18 or 19. And we crossed paths in the moto slash personal development world. And yeah, we, we formed a really good friendship. So talk a little bit about that phase and what you remember about young, old, naive, 17, 18-year-old Tanea. Well, I wouldn't say naive at all. I, I was actually so impressed um, that you were only 18 when we met. Um, so... We obviously met more so through my husband, um, Dean, who was racing at the time. I haven't raced for quite some time now, um, but we were at the Coffs Stadium Cross and Tanea was there with her camera, getting all the footage and the edits and she's running around, running this whole production, um, coming up with this incredible thing. And and then all of a sudden she's messaging us and she's like, oh, let me do this edit. And then she's so proactive and she's ringing us up again, like, oh, do you want me to come out and film this of Dean? Oh, do you want me to try and do this? And it was awesome. We thought, oh my gosh, we're getting all this great footage. And I was being a pain. That's what I was being. <laughs> Persistent. And I was incredibly out of me where I'm like, let's just freaking go for it. Um, so, you know, we resonated on that and I could just see that you were so driven and going after your goals that we were more than happy to support any which way we could. Um, Dean obviously become the, the test dummy in the foot in some of the footage when you were going through that and then obviously going through uni and we connected again because I'd, um, you know, had experience through uni. So we were chatting about different things that we resonated on. And then as you stepped into wanting to actually start and launch your business that you were going to do, um, I guess that's when we really started connecting because I have such a keen interest in business and was at the time being mentored um, on entre- entering the entrepreneurial space myself and being mentored in the online space. And that's when I guess I introduced you to my mentor and then all of a sudden we started learning together and it was just awesome having you there at, through that start of both our journeys really into business. Yeah, it was such a it was such a real big eye-opening experience for me back then. Like I had absolutely no idea. And I do just want to put a bit of context around. So Dean Ferris is now a four-time Australian motocross champion. Uh and when I was yeah. when I was young racing bikes, you know, 4, 5, 6, 7, Dean was off in Europe, you know, really taking on the world um and you know putting Australia on the map and really doing incredible things over there and he grew up not too far from Grafton which is where I'm from in a place called Kyogle it's about an hour and a half uh up 
up the coast, or up, up the inland, <laughs> definitely not on the coast, <laughs> uh, away from Grafton. So for us, he was kind of like, you know, our little homegrown hero um, and all the, you know, we used to talk about his racing and things and, and yeah, just reconnecting with him so many years later was a really cool moment. And to be able to create content for Dean was yeah, mind blowing for me when I used to idolize him as, you know, a young kid on a, on a Peewee 50. So that was really cool. And then to, yeah, and you go. And I'd love to just add to that, Tanea, and it's particularly for the guests and stuff listening, you know, there are times where we do idolize people and then all of a sudden so many people, like even I see them when they see Dean, they get all shy and they don't want to speak up. They don't want to say anything. They just look from afar or they'll try and snap a photo instead of just coming up and having the conversation. And I think that's something that really impressed us about you, Tanea, is just the way that you were like, okay, cool, I may idolize this guy, but I've got something to offer because I'm really good on a camera. He could benefit from, you know, getting some footage. So that actually gave you almost like a a way in um, to our lives. And then all of a sudden you become almost like family that now you could just pop over and come and hang at our house anytime, stay over. And, you know, these opportunities come about because you had the confidence and you didn't allow putting Dean on a pedestal, putting yourself down and being like, oh, I, I'm not worthy of being able to be in his presence. Instead, you recognized where your skill set was, where your genius zone was and was like, hey, maybe I could offer something to this. And I think this is such a valuable lesson for everyone listening that if you do idolize someone, maybe you want to connect with them. If you actually take a look at yourself and, and really rather than just looking at what they're great at, look at what you're great at and see how you can add value to their lives because that gives you the opening door to actually having a connection and not just a photo. 100%. And we went on to do, like, I think I shot one of my first ever, you know, what I would call a proper a proper video with Dean uh, on a camera, like yeah, a, a crappy, a crappy little camera. And I look back on it now and I'm like, what? And I think we did one every year for you know a period of like three or four years where I actually can now look back on them and go this is where I started and then like a year later this is where I am now and then a year later this is where I am now and then it culminated into us doing I think a big documentary that was like eight minutes or something yeah um on Dean's like entire story um up until that point yeah yeah, right before we went to America, that mm. was. That was, yeah, that was a, a massive challenge for me and something I really enjoyed. But now let's stop talking about me because I don't like talking about me. Let's talk about you and let's wind it back. Oh, it's a great <laughs> story. We love talking about Tanea. It, it, it's, yeah, well, it's, it was such a pivotal part of, of, you know, the early stages of my career and really understanding that this is what I wanted to do. Like when I went to you guys, like I was just a kid mucking around with a camera, you know, just having a bit of fun still in high school. Now look. I'm still just a kid having a bit of fun with a camera. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and now making a hell of a lot of money doing it and and investing wisely because obviously we spoke to you a lot about investing and stuff like that um, early because I think that's, again, you know, these little things that you get by reaching out to people that have have created um, some success that are a little bit further ahead of you by reaching out and learning that um, from such a young age is, is such a huge um, asset. So, yeah, I think it's important that the viewers um, or listeners um, get to really know how you've built such great relationships with so many incredible people. For sure, for sure. I do want to talk about 
you know, your early life. We need to we need to understand who Renee is pre pre all <laughs> the all the you know business and entrepreneur and all that sort of stuff. Let's understand. Yeah, you know, your family were involved in in motocross, very similar to mine. How did yeah? How was your you know you spent your weekends at a racetrack? Wind it back to to growing up in that in that environment. So really interesting, actually, how I even got into motocross and how my life is really, honestly, my life is what it is today because of all of this. Um, And funnily enough, my dad always wanted to ride motorbikes when he was young and um, he was one of seven, you know, quite a a poor family and just wasn't in a position to ever have motorbikes. And so when he was older and he had kids of his own, um, this one day, I guess he just always had in the back of his mind that love motorbikes and then yeah this one day um some guy put in the trading post I don't know if you remember the trading post it's like this old newspaper thing that used to <laughs> come out um that he had that he he had a peewee 50 up for sale and dad wasn't in a position necessarily to buy him but he contacted the guy and traded him a beer fridge for a peewee 50. Oh, what and a bargain <laughs> so ironically that's how that's literally how everything started is dad had a beer fridge in his shed and um, a Peewee 50 come up for grabs and he traded it for the Peewee. And then um, that was essentially our bike as kids. So my brother and I learned to ride on that. And then um, some people in town were interested in racing. So then we got involved with the local club. And then, yeah, eventually um, a few years later, my parents split. And that was basically how dad kept the family together was every time it was his weekend, he would take us racing. So he, with his sale of the, when the divorce happened and his house, the house got, family house got sold, dad put all his money into buying us all motorbikes and was like, I'm going to take you racing every weekend. And that's how I'm going to keep my family together. And so it just went from Mm -hmm. there. Then me, my brother and my sister were racing every single weekend with dad. And, um, it became just part of who we were. And funnily enough, that's how I met my now husband, Dean. Um, when we were just kids racing at the same races each weekend. So cool. So cool. I love your story like so much, especially meeting Dean. And then, you know, the next phase is, is Dean going off and, you know, saying, see you Renee, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess I I should have claimed that. Um, we met when we were really young. We didn't date from when we were really young because, you know, when, um, when boys are 17, 18 and, you know, going pro and all of a sudden they've got ladies lining up and options everywhere. Um, settling down's not always um, on their card. And um, Dean also is one of those athletes that he, very similar to how I was describing today earlier, he knew what he wanted from a really young age. So Dean knew he wanted to be a professional athlete. And when we were younger and, you know, trying to, maybe date or whatnot he was pretty much like he he never said it at the time because you know 17 year old boys aren't that good at communicating (laughs) but what he essentially was in his mind was like you're going to be a distraction so we can't properly date or I can't commit to a relationship um because I'm focused on racing and he showed that like every time we would catch up when we were younger and we try and you know I don't know, hang out for a weekend. He'd like hang out for a couple of hours and he's like, no, I'm going training or going, no, I'm going resting. And I always admired that so much about him because his commitment to his racing from such a young age um, 
was so strong and that's where he went off pretty much from uh, 19 or, or 21, um, moved overseas to Europe to race the world championship. And he did that um, because of his dedication. And speaking of like our differences in growing up racing, like for us, it was so different going to the track. So yes, we we're at the same race meets every weekend, but I went there and I was socializing and I was hanging out and my dad was washing my bike and me. my dad was setting up That's the what I was doing. shade and the tent and dad was, you know, packing the trailer and doing everything. And I'd like jump out of the car practically before it had even stopped and run over to my friends and go and hang out and then race the races and then go home. And I just thought it was this big social thing, but I actually had no idea until years and years later that um dean's dad had actually passed away when dean was quite young so he never had his dad at the races to pack his bike up to wash his bike to do all of that and so i knew that his mum was always the one only at the track um but i never realized the level of commitment that that required from dean because of that and so while i was rushing around socializing dean was washing his own bike he was parked at the back somewhere getting all his stuff organized you know, like even to get to the race, the level of commitment that he had to have is mind blowing. Like Dean used to have to pack up his bike, his brother's bike, pack the trailer, have it, do all the entries himself, have all the gear done and literally have everything organized and his and his coffee, his mum's coffee on so that she could wake up the morning of the race, grab her coffee from the from the kitchen table and drive the car to the race. And that was it. Um you know, he was responsible for doing all of his own bike rebuilds and stuff like that from such a young age. And I feel like it's such a huge testament to where he is today. Like I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh yeah, I want to be this great racer. And, you know, cause you're in that and every, no one lines up to get last. Right. So you always like line up thinking you're putting in hard work. But I think I soon realized like actually looking back, you know, I did not take it anywhere near seriously enough. And that's where, you know, I did it. And then as soon as I was kind of old enough and dad stopped paying for it, my racing stopped so, yeah. where Dean's career went on to now be four-time Australian motocross champion um, and all the other accomplishments that he's had. And yeah. As soon as my dad stopped paying, I sold my bike and bought a camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. Uh, I think for girls though, particularly, um, back when you and I were racing today, like it wasn't a thing for women to get paid to race or, you know, and we really weren't that good compared to what the women are today. Like I remember in 2006, I, I won the, um, like the Queensland version of like this thing called, used to be called girls on the gas and you'd get together and they kind of were like judging all the different riders around the country. And it was, all, all the women, women writers. And it was this way of like trying to set us up for, to get, essentially you got a, they called it a factory ride and it was the closest thing you could get to, right? Um, where they basically gave you a bike and parts for the year. And I was like, oh my God, this is so great. Because not long before that, I'd lined up on the start line at the Australian Women's Championships. And I'd lined up next to Catherine Prum, who at the time was like two-time Australian champion, She'd done really great in the world scene as well. And I was chatting to her and she pretty much said like she was going back to New Zealand every week to work in the fish and chip shop because there was actually no income whatsoever for female races. 
And I remember for me particularly that was really deterring um, because I was like, oh, there's like no future in this for us. Like where now it's so different because Charlie Cannon is like changing the game for women Mm. races because of her level of commitment, of her level of dedication and her speed. Like she's literally changing history right now in women's motocross because she's actually the first female ever to be competitive in the top pro ranks against the men. And now she's getting paid a salary and that's opened the door now. I think there's about three or five women in Australia getting paid to race now, which is just incredible. And like, it's amazing watching that evolution. When when I was racing, it was, you know, you got given a helmet and maybe, you know, a couple of bits of gear. And that was in terms of payment for, for your race wins. You know, it's, yeah, it's such a different scene now. And it's so cool to see how far we've come. Yeah, as a sport, it's just incredible to see where women's racing is going. Um, but like I said, I definitely was not putting in anywhere near the work that yeah. Charlie <laughs> Charlie I. was back then. Neither I was, was I. I was, I, I. If you would have asked sixteen-year-old Renee, she was putting in everything. But you know, thirty-three-year-old Renee over here is like, ah, oh, I just, yeah, I wasn't really. <laughs> I was having a good time. I was going to be the next big thing as long as my dad washed my bike for me. Yeah. And and I think that's the thing. It's it's interesting um, what you realize is like your level of commitment, like everyone likes going there, but you really get to know your level of commitment and tap into what your highest values are and what's really important to you based on the level of challenge you're willing to endure. Like, for example, for me to go to a race, I would do it as long as somebody else packed the bike, washed it, looked after it. I loved riding, but I wasn't prepared to do all of the other stuff that come with it just to ride. Where like in business, for example, what I'm doing now, like every part of that, I will enjoy any challenge because I mm. love it. It's my thing. Like for you with with camera, with videography, like a challenge should come your way and you'll just find a way around it because it's your thing. For sure. Um, where like we loved motocross, but it wasn't our thing if you know what Mm. I mean. It wasn't like that, like it is for, you know, the champions. And I think that's really what separates the champions from all the people that are at the race who think they want it, but maybe don't, you know? Mm. But if it was our thing, we would have never found our actual things. You would have never found your business and I would have never found a camera. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't have been too busy racing on the track. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that you can't still have fun. Like you can still have a really great time without it being the be all and end all you know, but I think when I think about it, I often reflect, and this is what you and I talk about as well sometimes, is it's like when you've got um, someone who really wants it, it's like that comparison trap, right? It's like when you've got somebody who's totally thriving and then you're like trying at something but not getting the same results, it's like are you actually putting in the same level of commitment as the person who's winning or thriving or whatever you know, like there's a lot of people out there with a camera that would love to be doing some of the stuff that, and opportunities that you get, but you get those opportunities because of the level of commitment and extra mile that you're willing to go. And, um, and it happens in every industry across the board. And I think it's, it's that pattern of like, am I doing it because I love it? Or am I doing it because it's my absolute mission and I love it, sure. yeah. <laughs> you know? Or is it just it's like interested versus committed, if that makes sense? Yeah, 100%. So after Dean, 
said see ya and went off to do his thing that he knew was his mission like he knew from such a young age that that yeah. was his thing what did you do you yeah you weren't in business yeah well i i liked i always liked money um i always <laughs> liked wealth and as i said i was sitting next to Catherine prum and she was like there's no money in motocross and i was like oh crap i would better find some way to have it um or or do it um and create opportunity and so for me i went with just what i knew so um the day i turned 18 i bought a house um i put all my savings into that so i sold my motorbike um and bought a house started working in banking um i did a few quite quite a few years then working in banking um and that's pretty much i did banking did uni all the all the things bought a house got a dog did the white picket fence did everything you were thought you had to do did all the things that they say you you should do um only to realize that i was miserable as shit mm, funny that <laughs> um and going down quite a quite a depressing path actually if i look at where my life was headed like i loved the job and i was thrilled by the chase of the corporate career but i actually had no life outside of that like i didn't really have much friendship i didn't have much lifestyle i was actually earning quite little looking back now um but you know i was prepared to do a 60 years in the bank so i thought i was just at to the, pay off you know the, the step loan. that i was at yeah. to pay off the home loan to pay off the car loan to do all the thing right yeah. um i was in a relationship that was not really going anywhere it was just it had essentially faded out and we were two people living in a house together not knowing what to do um not being able to leave because of all it was just messy really where my life was headed and that's when um this one day i got a message from dean um that said hey i'm coming home to australia i've just signed a contract to come back and race there and by the way i'm single very smooth and dean very smooth he, yeah very smooth um and yeah pretty much i had to have a hard look at my life and go whoa okay um it's been years you've been on the other side of the world doing your thing and i've been here um and pretty much he i was like look just we'll talk when you get back to australia and he come and just was like hey i know i couldn't commit when i'm younger but like if you'll have me i want to spend the rest of my life with you like you're not actually doing what you're doing are you forever and that's when I, I really stopped and I looked at my life and I was like, okay, well, my job actually isn't getting me where I want to go anywhere fast. My lifestyle is not that great. My relationships been dead for longer than I care to admit. And I'm, I've got myself in all this debt that like, what am I doing with my life? I just, yeah. And that's when, um, I essentially, as much as my family and friends all thought I was crazy, I left everything and i left my job i left my partner i left my house i left my dog um and i started fresh and i got introduced to this whole new world and way of living and earning and just being with dean taught me like just the value of having fun and also the it actually just opened my eyes to the fact that people were just 
ask, we'd been asking ourselves the wrong question. So like growing up, I was asked, what kind of job do you want to do? That's going to get you what you want, as opposed to what would you love to do? And how can you get paid for that? And that's where I really got my eyes open to the possibilities and started realizing like, wow, I want to wake up with the level of purpose that he has. Like I was so inspired by the fact that every day, like, and what he was accomplishing in his racing was just, it was truly inspiring. And I just, and then I started spending more time with people like yourself, like Dean, that were just, they knew their thing. And I was like, wow, this is just such a different energy than just going to a job and doing the thing because that's what you were always told. And you had to make that hard decision, that hard decision to, oh, to yes. leave everything. Otherwise, and like, can you even everything. imagine like where you'd be now if you didn't? Oh, every now and again, I allow myself to think of that and it terrifies mm. me as to where my life would be if I didn't find the courage to walk away. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I, I wish that I would have been more empowered and been able to walk away without having Dean come and, you know, offer me a lifeline out. But everything um, happened the way it was supposed but to. Everything happened the way it was supposed to. And I, I think I just, it's hard because I feel like sometimes you can't see out, you know, mm. like when you're in it, it's that whole saying, like, you can't see the forest for the trees. It's like when I was in it, I, I somewhat knew that I wasn't happy, but I didn't know to do anything about it. I was so locked into my social conditioning, my comfort zone, like everything that I'd been told. And then all of a sudden Dean rocks up after living a completely different life, because like I said, he moved to Europe when he was really young. He followed his passions and he was around, you know, entrepreneurs and, and different um, professional athletes and just a whole different um, level of thinking that it was so different to the life that I was conditioned to. And so essentially it was like, okay, um, yeah, it was finding that courage, trusting my heart for the first time instead of my head because my head said everything about leaving was wrong. <laughs> Um, like, why would you do that? You've got this, you've followed your script and now you're going to just leave it for what? From the outside, it looked perfect. Yeah. Yeah. From the outside, my life looked great, mm. but from the inside it, it didn't. And yeah, I'm so glad that I found the courage to do it. And everything has been different since then because my life has just opened the door to essentially possibilities and just was like, whoa, look at this other way that people are living and earning and yeah, just living really like, and not just existing. I feel like I was just existing to now. I was like on this rotation of existing and not, I, I wasn't stopping to think about what would I like to do? What are my dreams and goals? Like they weren't questions I asked. It was how much money do I have left to pay the mortgage this week? Mm. Like what, you know, there was no dreaming or, you know, you wait for your four weeks a year of annual leave to where are we going to go on a holiday this year? What am I going to use my leave days for? Mm. Like my life today is so different. Crazy, crazy. It's such a, the reason like I wanted to dive back into it is it's such an inspiring story because I, yeah, the, like the, how many people I know or how many people that dream and dream and dream, but are stuck, stuck in the, in the, mm -hmm. what look, what is supposed to be the, the perfect life with the house and the job and the, and yeah, it's yeah. just 
yeah, it, it gives me goosebumps, like not good goosebumps, like like nervous goosebumps because like I don't feel any of that. Yeah. And I've yeah. never had any desire for any of that. And people look at me and they're like, you're making all this money. Why don't you own a house? And I'm like, I want a house. Like I want my business and my <laughs> business will take me anywhere. And that's, yeah. that is all I want. And I will put every penny I ever make back into my business to continue to do what I love. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's doing what you love. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people that finish school or whatever. And then, you know, like when you're young, people tell you to dream. It's like, oh, you could be anything. But then you like get closer to high school and all of a sudden it's like, oh, now get real. Now be smart. Like how many people said to you today, oh, get real, get a real, get a real job. Like, oh, don't start a business. It's risky. Like, why don't you go work for someone? People don't realize that when you're working for somebody, somebody else is running that business. Do you know what I mean? Like there's still a person behind that. So why not back you rather than someone else? I was so lucky that my parents never, ever said that. They were like, go. They did say go to uni just in case. Because like they're, 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 yep. they're, you know, you got to, at a certain point you have to, you can dream as much as you want, but you do have to pull a little bit of reality into the situation like I could go guns a blazes and could have you know but maybe I was just bad at business maybe I just didn't have you know common yeah. sense with finances like it's it was always about yeah cool dream and chase this this bizarre wild dream but also then you know mm-hmm. pull a bit of reality into it in case things don't work out the way I've got in my head fortunately things worked out the way I had in my head and and life's great but you know, it always, you always have to, I always felt like my parents were looking out for me in terms of ensuring that I did have some kind of normal, normal reality to fall back on if I ever needed to. Yeah. I, um, I used to always think that as well, that I feel like the more you invest in yourself, none of that stuff actually matters because I look at like, you know, by the time, let's say, for example, I don't know how old I was when Dean come back. Um, I must have been 24, 25 or something like that. Um, But at that time, I had done 10, I must have been, yeah, 25. Anyway, I'd done like nine years working in banking. I'd done two uni degrees. I'd gone to year 12. And I'd done all of this stuff. Meanwhile, he had dropped out after year 10 and been a pr- and just chased his dream race and motorbikes. If you ask either one of us, which one would you take business advice from? Every single one person, most people would say me, but that wasn't the case. I learned more about business from mm. Dean. And this is the crazy reality. Like we go to uni to learn this, but I've learned more about business just from doing it from being around business people, from being in, like, I actually feel like all of my education and my academics actually held me back more than accelerated me. Like I had to do so much unlearning um, where Dean, because he'd had real life experience, he understood, I'd done a whole semester or two on economics and he could explain economics better than Mm -hmm. me because he'd been in the real world living it. it. And that's where it's just, I feel like some of the, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not fully bagging uni. There are some stuff like I did definitely learn a thing or two, um, but I was so conditioned to be like that straight A student, like trying to get everything right, ticking a box, 
where I feel like life isn't like that. Life is gray. Oh yeah. And it's what you make it. And, you know, I think too, the more you try to hone in and be like, oh, I need to get this A or I need to get this right. You're so fixated and focused on things like perfectionism. I feel like, whereas now knowing what we know, like we're raising our kids so different. Our conversations are like, we want to put them in places where they can fail. We want to teach them that failing is actually the way forward. Mm. Like being there, doing it, having a go, not sitting behind a, a computer for five hours trying to work out the sum. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a degree of planning, but there's a degree of doing. And I think that's where, you know, I've learned from you. I've learned from Dean. I've learned from my other entrepreneur friends. You just take action. And that's where we get so much further ahead than sitting in, you know, just planning mode or academic mode. You know, you can get too caught in your head in the details than actually doing the thing. For sure. I do want to touch on the relationship that you and Dean formed around his professional career because I've witnessed it and it is, it is, yeah. it works like clockwork. It's, it's very impressive the <laughs> way you guys optimized his career. So how did you, obviously he come back, yeah. come back, had the deal, you know, did everything he did in Europe and then come back and had the deal to race in Australia mm -hmm. with, you know, what was arguably the best team in Australia at the time. Yes. Yep. You and him have just rekindled, just got into a relationship. Yes. And he's, you know, his number one priority is to go and perform for this team that he's signed and, and win races and yeah. continue to grow his career. Talk to yep. me a little bit about that time. Um, pretty much by the time Dean come back from Europe, he was really empowered. So, um, and he was quite dominant in terms of like, He's like, okay, racing's my thing. Um, you know, I've spent all these years learning it. He was going for his first Australian championship that year in 2016 um, and pretty much was like, hey, I'd like you to come to the race. Um, I'd love your support, but pretty much like I need, I'm learning from Craig Dack. He he runs CDR. He's like the, the expert. He's going to teach me how to race. I know what I'm doing. Please don't offer opinions. Don't offer any advice because you don't know nothing about nothing. Just make my sandwiches. Um, and then that was kind of essentially how it started. And then he was like, actually, I really need somebody on the pit board because I need to be um, getting lap times. Um, and so it, that's how it started was I started just, he taught me how to take his lap time, but I wasn't allowed to offer any opinions. I wasn't allowed to speak about anything. He was working it out with the experts, you know? Um, and so essentially I just sat back and I watched and I listened and I learned and I just witnessed what he was doing. Um, and then as he was doing it, I essentially became his sounding board. So I was on the pit board every day. Um, and then yeah, became his sounding board. He was, you know, uh, and then I was also taking notes. So we did a lot of note taking um, in terms of like when he would make changes, when he was testing and different things. And then what happened, um, interesting enough, in middle of um, 2016, he actually had a really big crash. So he had, we were over in, in WA in Wanneroo. He had dominated the first race, won by like nearly 30 seconds, dominated the second race, won by nearly 30 seconds, went into the third race, super cocky, 
um, didn't get the best start, come out in second place, then made a rush decision to try and overtake and ended up landing on the back of another rider and, and crashing out and ending up in hospital. Um, and that was the first time that it really hit me that that crash was avoidable because I watched Craig Dack roasting for having the crash being like, that was so unnecessary. And I was sitting back like, whoa, I never thought of it like that. I'd only ever seen crashes as accidents, you know, like, oh my God, you poor thing, you know? Um, I'd never thought of it like, whoa, that was avoidable. Um, that was unnecessary risk that you took. After that crash, um, we got in the car um, and I mentioned, voiced up my first opinion. <laughs> um, and, and Dean pretty much slammed me and was like, da-na-na-na-na, didn't want to say anything. And then I just looked at him and I went, okay, you can sit there and think you know everything, but I've been sitting and watching and listening for six months and I think it's time you let me in and we work on this together because I may not know as much, but I'm a really good learner and what this is is mindset and that fascinates me. So after that is when I, um, I moved in full time and pretty much started studying everything I could on human behavior and mindset and just trying to understand sports psychology because I was so fascinated by the fact that he could actually avoid a crash. And then as I got into that, then all of a sudden that let, opened up a can of worms because then all of a sudden I, my whole life started making sense as I started to understand psychology and human behavior. And I was like, whoa. So then even though I started to help him and I also started for some other reasons and different things and then all of a sudden everything just – yeah, I found my thing. It all just, it all just clicked. Um, it, it all just started clicking and I was like, whoa, this is, uh, yeah, just amazing. And um, then basically Dean didn't want to do the amount of study I was doing, obviously, but what I, what he did let me do was I would study what I learned about human behavior, about sports psychology, about the mindset, all of that. And then what he would do is so I would read the book, do the course or whatever, and then he would afterwards go, okay, now give me the two points. What's the yep. key crux of the message of it? Um, and so I would just give him that. And then what we would do is we would talk about it. And so it become our thing that, you know, we go, he'd go riding in the morning, then we'd sit on the couch in the afternoon. I'd talk about what I learned. Um, and then he would cross-reference it over his experience as an athlete. Over his, And he, he's got this like full photographic memory. And so he would recollect and basically together we piece by piece it, the academic of it with his experience of it. And then we really got a really clear understanding of how to overcome, how to master his mindset. Um, we also had some other um, help from sports psychologists and different things like that at the time um, and just coupled it all together. And then that's when he went on to win his first Australian championship. Then we just built on it from there. And then the next year he won again and um, he won nine out of 10 rounds of the Australian Championship the following year. And then the year after that, we went on to win 10 out of 10 and become the first um, team ever and race ever to win and dominate all 10 rounds of the Australian Pro Motocross Championship. Um, and that literally came down to what we'd started learning about the mindset because he already was fit, he already was fast he just needed that final piece. And so that's what we worked on together. And that's why we called ourselves the A-Team because 
he didn't train with anyone. He didn't have like buddies he was out riding with or coaches. Um, it was him and I at the track every single day. I was on the pit board. Um, and for two of those years, I was pregnant um, or had brand new babies and they just slept in the middle of the track with <laughs> a towel and an umbrella um, as I just took lap times. And that's how we become the A-team is, yeah, just pretty much being his voice box. And I just kept learning from him essentially. And then I'd put it together with what I'd learn in books and his experience. And that was our story. Mm, so cool. And you guys really optimized something that hadn't really been been done before. And it was really admirable to, you know, watch on the sidelines and then see an insight into it. What I do want to touch on while we're on this is Dean dominated for such a long time in Australia. For three years, he he was pretty much the, yeah. the guy and won everything that he could have won. Yeah. Then went to America and impressed in America. Yeah. Come back to Australia when things didn't work out in America and sort of rushed together a program and had a massive injury, a career-ending injury, yes. an injury that actually made him retire. Yes. Talk to me about that phase and, you know, I remember reading the news about his injury and, like, obviously a, a close friend of mine, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, for a while it was like, you know, is is this, like, can he walk again? Yeah. Like, is he, is he, is he, yeah. is he alive yeah. was, like, questions that yeah. sort of come up in, yeah. in conversation and things like that and crazy, crazy time and I'll, and I'll let you tell it. Yeah, it was a really crazy time of our lives. Um, when he was dominating so much here in Australia, we were like, oh, yeah, let's do, let's go overseas. We'll see how it goes there. As you said, it didn't work out in America. We come back and then pretty much um, not long after that COVID hit and then all of a sudden we realised why it didn't work out in America <laughs> um, because we did not want to be stuck over there during COVID. So somehow we manifested our way back home. Um, but, yeah, COVID had just come in. And it was kind of on the fence at early days and we didn't really know if racing was going ahead, what was happening. There was all these like lockdown things going on. Um, and Dean was still like training because he's like, I want, I need to be Australian champion again. Like I'm going to race. And he was trying to keep up with training, but then obviously there was no salaries because like, um, you know, they didn't know if racing was going on. We didn't know if there was bonus, like, and up until that point, our whole family's income was race dependent. And our year in America actually cost us money. Um, so we pretty much had a year loss financially um, to go over there. And so we had, we even though we had a lot of savings, we didn't want to dig into that because Dean's very firm on that. So we were pretty much like, we need to work out a way to make money. Like, what are we doing? And so it wasn't our consistent program that we'd always had of just things are taken care of. You just focus on racing. It, it was really messy. He was in his mind every day. How do we make money for the family? By that time we had two kids. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily working as much, like I wasn't in a, in a job per, per se. Um, you know, I was playing around with entrepreneurial stuff, but not making money at that point. And we were, um, yeah, just pretty much life was messy. We, we were living out of a van um, because New South Wales kept getting shut down. So we literally just threw one of our cupboards out of our house into a van and just bolted it to the wall. 
um, chucked a bed on the floor and was like living out of a van with two kids, um, no shower, no toilet. Like it was just crazy times. And we were traveling pretty much from, cause I've got a lot of family in Queensland. So we were traveling between their houses um, just to stay in the, in the state um, to get, so that he could keep training really. And then we were running coaching clinics, motocross coaching clinics in between, um, because that was a way we decided to make a bit of money. Um, we built an online course and then we're teaching training clinics, um, sharing what we learned. Um, but yeah, pretty much like if you, if that just gives us some of like the messiness of our lives and the instability. And, um, and then one day Dean was out training right before round one was supposed to happen. And he, yeah, just essentially a freak accident, 20 meters from the medics, um, tucked the front, went over the bars and broke his back. Um, he broke from T4 down to T7. His back was essentially completely dislocated. So the top half of his back was separated from the bottom half. He had a whole lot of internal injuries on top of that. Um, and pretty much he was laying on the, on the track like a pretzel. Um, we didn't know at that time what was happening, how everything was going to go down. Um, he got chopped out from there and, and taken care of in the hospital. Um, but that's essentially how the crash happened. Um, because of all, fortunately, because of the level of mindset, um, and, and human psychology that we had gone into, we knew instantly that everything happens for us and not to us. And so we looked at each other in the, one of the craziest times of our lives ever and just didn't panic. There was no stress. I still remember the medic coming up to me months later, just saying he'd never seen somebody so calm with an injury so serious, but he and I just looked at each other. We knew that whatever was happening was meant to happen. And we didn't know why, but our faith, our trust was so strong. He told me that when, when I asked him about it, that he, he thought he was, he was dead or was about to die because the pain was, was so intense. He's like, I thought that that was as close as I've ever thought that to, to dying. Um, and from there we did a, a, and not many people would know this, but we actually, his healing journey, um, obviously he still needed surgery. His back was fully broken. So it, you know, it had metal plates and stuff like that put in, but his actual recovery, we did a combination of holistic healing which for those of you that aren't familiar with the word holistic it just means like natural healing um and then the scientific like medical western medicine so it was kind of a combination of eastern medicine and western medicine we did a lot of psychological work as well to help repair and um it was really incredible actually his recovery um was mind-blowing the we were told by doctors that he definitely would never ride again. We were told by doctors that he would have back pain his whole life. We were told by doctors that he would, you know, be suffering um, with it and that this was a career-ending injury. Um, even though he was able to walk, they pretty much said, like, you'll never be the same. Um, and that was not the case. Um, we did the recovery. We worked really, really hard on that. We got a net, we hired a nanny to take care of the kids and we did that um, together. Um, I stepped up then as well with the business and, and made some extra cash to support the family during that time. Um, and then we, we worked together on the recovery 
um, with the support as well of Adam, our osteo, um, and some other, like I said, mental tools and, and um, holistic health coaches that we have in our corner. And yeah, his recovery was remarkable. And even the doctors said they can't believe how quickly he recovered. Um, and also the fact that he, by the time we'd done all the psychological work as well, he had no blocks when he started riding. So there was no like, oh, I'm afraid of crashing on this, on that, because we knew exactly why he the crash happened for him. We did the inner work to work that out. Um, and then as well, on top of that, um, yeah, the, one of the most interesting facts about it was his back, it was almost like because he'd ridden for 20 odd years, his body knew what it would normally do in that position to go riding. And so he did have like a little bit of niggly back pain. Um, it was really minor, but it did have a little tenderness. Um, and then one day he got back on the bike and just started going for a fun ride. And um, not long, and that next day was the first morning that he woke up to me and he said, my back doesn't hurt anymore. And it was essentially like the back was used to moving in certain ways. And because it hadn't moved in that way, because he hadn't been on a bike, the body was essentially sending pain signals to go, hey, something's mm -hmm. wrong. But the moment he got back on a bike and did the motion and the movement, even though it was slightly different because of the plate, the body realized that it could do it. And then all of a sudden it stopped sending that pain signal. And I think that is one of the most fascinating um, facts about the human body. And um, yeah, it's one of the incredible things that we've learned. And so not only did doctors say that he'd never ride again, but he just won his fourth Australian motocross championship on the weekend. Yeah. So um, after that, like I said, he yeah did his recovery. Now um, we are actually right on, it happened on the 8th of August. Today's the 24th of August. So um, right on three years since it happened, since the injury. Um, and his body is actually in the best shape of, its, of his life. Crazy. So Crazy. physically, by this year, his body is better than it's mm. ever been. So better than pre the injury. So it's so cool. So cool. Yeah, his level of commitment to his rehabilitation, to his recovery, to everything is truly inspiring. What I do want to talk about is Dean retired. So he, you know, how did you guys come up to that decision for Dean to retire after that injury? Pretty much he decided on the track that he was done. Um, he told me that night in the hospital that he's retiring from racing. He thought initially that the crash happened because he had hung on too long um, was his initial first thought. I'll just finish up. So that's how he made the first decision to retire. We got a call up just after he announced his retirement we got a phone call from a lady. They were filming a fictional TV show up in Alice Springs um, called Mavericks and they needed a stunt double <laughs> and they had underestimated what they were doing and they rang us after Dean had announced his retirement and they're like, hey, is there any chance that you could come and be a stunt double? Anyway, initially he said, no, I'm just going caravanning. And then they come back. Anyway, long story short, they ended up hiring both Dean and I. 
um, to be stunt doubles. So we went out and for 11 weeks, um, we did um, stunt double riding for this TV show um, where we were riding one, two fives. And pretty much before that, honestly, Dean had ridden a bike once since his accident. He hadn't really barely ridden and this real, the movie opportunity really kicked him off like to getting on the bike again. Dean was just on the bike three or four times a week, even though it was only short stints, but it was like doing this. And he just realized when he was on the bike, he's like, my body, he just said to me, where he goes, my body's not restricting me one bit. I could just see in his eyes that he was missing it. He's like, no, 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 we're traveling Australia with the family. That's what we're doing. Anyway, got back. Um, and then he's like, oh, but I wouldn't mind a, a bike now, you know, like I'll just get a bike to ride on for fun. So then he got a bike from KDM. We had some contacts there at the time. They gave him a bike to ride and then he just did a couple of rides on it, got some suspension, was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then he's like, you know what? He's like, I reckon I can still beat these guys. So then out of nowhere that year, he hadn't been racing, hadn't done anything. He'd been retired. We were traveling Australia. We happened to be in North Queensland. He had the bike in the back and there happened to be a Queensland title on. So we turned up full privateers in the back of a base station at the time without traveling Australia, just with a bike in the back. And we rocked up and he, he essentially was one of the quickest riders there. Everyone was us included were just like, whoa, he actually hasn't even lost pace. Mm. So he hasn't lost pace. He hasn't lost his bike. Bike was body was still fine. His bike was fine. And we're just like, wow, he's still got it. And then that's when he said to me, he goes, I want to race next year. And I was like, okay pretty much ended up um, negotiating whatever, ended up on Honda um, and he did a year with Honda. Um, but unfortunately um, we had a couple more issues still because we were still trying to travel Australia. We didn't really have a house. We were a little bit unstable. Um, we thought it was a good idea to just travel from race to race. It wasn't. <laughs> um, we added extra challenges on our lives that didn't really pan out. He just didn't really gel with the bike all year. By the end of that year, he was so burnt out that he's just like, actually, I didn't want to come back to racing. I'm done. I'm like, let one year's enough for me. Let's, ha I'm hanging up the boots. So we announced his retirement. We did the big public post. We're like, look, he come back. He got to retire on his own terms. I'm walking away. We'll just go back to traveling Australia and, you know, so off we went again, <laughs> we re-retired again. I could not keep up with you guys. I didn't know if it was retired or not retired. It was the first few weeks was awesome, you know, like we were at waterfalls, we were doing this, we were doing that. But I could just see in his eyes, he just, he wasn't contented with his decision. I was at the time, um, I was growing our, our now business, um, and, but it was still in its infancy stages. I was still learning different things. But we had the vehicle, we had the business vehicle that was going to allow us to do it. Um, but it just wasn't really established. And I was trying to get him on board. I'm like, Dean, look, look at this business I've got for us. Like it's it's literally ready to set us up for life. But I just couldn't get his buy-in. And then we started kind of fighting a little bit. And I realized that it was because I was like, okay, you're retired. Let's do, let's go for business. And he was like, I'm not actually done. So that's when we had the discussion again. And he's like, all right. I'm going to come back again. <laughs> um, stuff with all everyone's going to think, yes, I know I'm going to cop shit because, you know, I've just announced this big retirement and then I'm going to come back. But he's like, I'm just going to do it on my terms. 
we're going to simplify our whole life. So we sold the caravan, we sold this, we moved into a house, we literally simplified everything. We sold so much stuff, you've got no idea. We went seriously to the bare minimum and we, we sat down and had a big meeting between the two of us and was like, okay, when we won all those championships, what were the key factors? What did you need? What is it that makes you tick? What is it that stressed you out that causes crashes that caused all these issues? And then we pretty much just was like, okay, what equipment do you want? Because he didn't gel with the, with the Honda. He, he, he was like, okay, well, I'll really gel with Yamaha. Cool. So we signed Yamaha. Then we're like, okay, what do you need? We made this big list and that's how we put our year together. And we just simplified everything, went back to what we knew. And he's just won his fourth Australian championship last week. We've, we know now what we need for him to perform. And um, we got a bit excited last year thinking we could do everything, um, you know, still have like the travel life and that at the same time. Whereas we've come to realize that actually what works best is having this stability during the race season and then we'll travel and do what we want to do in the in the off season in the break so yeah and he's gone for number five next year so so good the cool thing is it's actually sustained his career i think like it's made it more sustainable now going through all the motions we've had such a messy five years but all of this has helped us refine and learn what exactly we need as a family we've also sat down a lot and gone over what do i need as a as a as a person as well because for a long time life was just all about dean and it was like the kids and i were missing out where now we've found this beautiful balance where all of our needs are getting met for the whole family which just makes everything easier you just had to find the fit the fit for both of you yeah it's we just had a it's like a puzzle life is like a puzzle and we just had to we kept having a few pieces miss you know in the wrong place and we just kept refining and refining and really like we were talking about at the start of the call really following our values following what's important to us and tapping into like what's more and it, I, I guess it's actually asking the question rather than like okay who's going to get the who gets what they want is it dean or is it me or is it the kids it was how do I get what I want while you get what you want while the kids get what they want? Mm. So it was that really powerful question of like, how is me being true to me actually helping you with what you want? And how is you being true to you? So it wasn't like a, I've got to sacrifice, you've got to sacrifice or this. It was really bringing it back and interlinking all of our value systems so that we can work really cohesively as a family. And then there's no resentment either in regards to any of it in, yeah, in regards exactly. to Dean being a professional right. athlete, which is, you know, self selfish Correct. being a professional athlete can be seen as yeah. seen as selfish, but you guys have seen to, you know, un unlock yeah. the key that allows everyone to, to fit in fit like into their puzzle piece sort of thing. Yeah. It just, it's one of those things I think Tanea that it really, um, how, how would I put this? Like, it shifts your paradigm. It shifts the way that you see things. And I feel like, you know, it doesn't feel selfish anymore. You know, like it's, it's a really beautiful blend of, yeah, fit, fitting everyone in and just, it's that interlinking of values. For sure.
And I think that is a beautiful way to, to wrap up your story. Last thing I do want to touch on is your current business. Yeah, what we're doing now. And what is sort of building, building your legacy, I guess, beyond the racetrack. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so I think we have touched on a couple of times as well about how I started a few different entrepreneurial ventures. And as I said to you earlier, I wanted to create something where I needed an income stream that would support and help the family, but not take me away from my commitment with Dean, not take away my commitment with the kids, because as you know, I'm very devoted wife and mum, and that's really important to me. But at the same time, being financially independent is also important. And um, and as you know, coming back this year for us to do it this way was a bit different because we did we didn't get a contract. He did because he, he'd retired. Everyone had signed, and there was no team ride or anything like that. So um, it was very different. We had to look at it like a, a real business. Now we needed income outside of racing, and this has been. Um, something that I've been working on now. Um, I changed business models uh, the start of last year. So it's been just over 18, about 19 months now ago. Um, Again, it's one of those things like we were just talking about how, you know, with Dean's Racing, it was like we had to find what makes him tick, what makes that work. What we realized was it was the exact same with me for business. So for me to create a business and stuff, we had to, it had to tick all the boxes because any other time I'd tried different ventures that didn't, the moment the business would impact the family, I would back away from the business every day of the week or the moment the fam, you know, it would either way, it was this constant fight between the business and family. And so 18 months ago or 19 months ago now, I found a business model that actually aligns for both. So essentially um, what do we do is it's in term, we leverage um, affiliate marketing now. So I still get to share the mindset stuff. I still get to support people with the psychology and all of the stuff that I love, but it's just in a different way. So rather than coaching one-on-one like I was, um, now what I'm doing is actually leveraging products. Um, so I partnered with a Japanese health technology company um, and we essentially are distributors for their products. And the really cool thing is because, as I've said to you a few times, we've really needed to interlink Dean and me and the kids and all of our values in one. And this is essentially what this business has done for us. So the product that I ended up partnering with is actually, actually changes your water. And what that's done for Dean as an athlete has been mind-blowing. And that's what you and I were talking about earlier is, you know, as an athlete, you're always looking for the edge. So you're looking for what's the next best thing I can do to improve. And so when I was looking at all of the different ways that we could help, I come across um, a water ionizer from Japan that actually improves the quality of your water. So if you think about like, you know, how you can put 91 in your car and it'll run fine, but you put 98 in. And all of a sudden your car's running better, it's optimizing the engine and it's lasting longer. Well, essentially what our water ionizer does is the same, but for your body. So your body is made up of 70% water. And what our water ionizer does is it turns your regular tap water into electrolyzed, um, electrically reduced water, ERW is the technical term for it. Um, But it's higher, higher alkaline and it's just, it's been incredible. Like what it's done for Dean's helped with Dean's recovery. 
um, with his racing, like there's countless benefits. Um, so straight away that got the tick um, from Dean when I found a business that aligned. And again, like I was saying, when you can realize how you following something can help their goal and when them following their goal helps your goal, everything moves forward. And so essentially that's what I did is I come up with a business that would support Dean's racing without taking away from it. And so what we do is we are affiliate marketers. So we do, we run lifestyle businesses. So we promote based on our personal brands, um, which again ties then into the kids. So I get to do things with the kids um, and share a product, which is just incredible. Like, again, it's a business model that I hadn't considered in the past because I was so used to like, oh, you got to do everything yourself. Um, but yeah, so now that's what we do. I've called, um, I, I, I created a hashtag called hashtag pure possibility because I wanted to pretty much introduce the possibilities to people. And so now I get to share not only these incredible water products, but anyone who buys one gets an opportunity to become a distributor as well and make commissions. And so it's been a beautiful transition into a way of us making money from just purely owning my favorite household device that I would have anyway, that's helped improve Dean's racing and, and his body, um, his hydration, his recovery, plus what it's done for our own health as well. Um, and it makes us money and I get to hang out every day, make content, have fun making content online and live the dream, being there for my kids, which was the other thing that was really important. And now um, this business actually creates enough income to support the whole family, um, which is incredible. There's, yeah, the opportunities are endless. Um, essentially, it's just a business that ticks all the boxes. That now, so Dean ticked off racing this weekend. He'll go back in, he'll start training again, Boxing Day. But between now and then, he's going to hang out with me and we're going to make content together. And just our whole goal is just make our life as amazing as possible. And that's what we get to focus on. And then we share products and solutions that we love and that we genuinely believe in and we get paid. It's like the best business model ever. So cool. Yeah, that's how our life has evolved. And now that's it. We just get to wake up every day with our kids, go rollerblading, go tomorrow I'm going skydiving. <laughs> um, just... This is kind of our life. We just, every day we ask ourselves, how can we make our life better? And that's what we do. So cool. And it's such an in inspiring story. You know, we started at the beginning and yeah, it's really, really cool. And it's really cool that, you know, I've been a lot able to watch from the sidelines and, and yeah, it just, it inspires me. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the podcast to show the possibility and what is possible to all the people that listen. It's, it's an incredible story. Yeah, it's crazy, actually. I haven't sat down for an hour and actually just looked at the whole story like we've done today. You know, I see bits and pieces of our story and, you know, a lot of people, especially now in the business, a lot of people ask me like, oh, where were you right before the business? But I feel like my whole life has led up to this business. Like there's so many pieces of the puzzle that led us to this. It's not just one thing. So it's cool looking at it actually from where we were to where we are now, like, yeah, it's incredible. Like every day now, not only do I get to make my own life more amazing, but we are literally transforming everyday families to live extraordinary lives. Because this is the other thing, like, you know, I for so long thought that I only got to live such an incredible life because Dean was an athlete. And I kind of felt like almost unworthy of it because I didn't create it. 
Whereas now with this business model, it's like any fair, anyone could do it. Like it's literally helping ordinary families live extraordinary lives. And I just, I get so excited and so inspired to share it with people that it's like, yeah, it's, it's so, it's so fulfilling. So fulfilling. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I do have one final question. We have a lot of young women who listen to this podcast who turn to it as a source of how can I live my dreams and how can I, you know, follow the path that I see in my head? How do I make it a reality? If you had some advice for young Renee, who was a bit lost, who knew they wanted something extraordinary out of their life and wanted to build an extraordinary life, what advice would you give yourself or a young, another young woman who, you know, might be 16 or 17 and is just not quite sure how to really unlock that, that potential? The first thing I would say to them is look for the people that are actually living what you want. Because a lot of the time we just go to our parents, our teachers, our friends, or all these different people that are perceived authority figures in our lives, but they may not necessarily be living the the life that you dream of, the life of what you want or what is extraordinary life for you. And so it would be give yourself permission to think about, sorry, just um, to give yourself permission to think about and ask, what is it that you truly want? And if you don't know, start with what you do know and allow that to grow. Start looking around outside of your immediate circle and see what are the people doing that inspire you. Sorry, just one sec. Girls, can you hop out, please? I know, just come cop out and mummy's nearly finished. I'm gonna be two minutes. I know, but you're too loud. Hop out, please. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so what I was saying is my, the advice I would give is to really look at what you would love in your life. Start with what you know and allow that to grow. If you don't know, that's fine, but look beyond just your parents or your teachers or the authority figures that you look up to. Because I look at some of the people that perhaps I looked up to when I was a kid. And then I realized that actually they weren't living the kind of life that I would love to live. Um, that's in alignment with my values and what I see as success. Because the thing is, every for every single person on the planet, success is something different. And, you know, like for you, success is in videography and it's about chasing supercars and, and motorsport around the country. That's not everyone's goal. And But I think people get caught up in what, the, you know, everyone's going to tell you what you should do. You know, every, the more pe- everyone will have their own values and they'll project them onto you. So my advice is to sit with yourself and really learn as early as possible to listen to your intuition and follow your heart. What is it that you are drawn to? What stuff do you love? And then as you start drawing that picture out, know that life is a self-fulfilling prophecy and you can 100% create whatever reality you choose. And so what you want to really look at is literally think of your life like a storybook and you're the author no matter where you're starting from you can create whatever ending you want so dream big forget the forget what anyone says about limitations i always say those that are doubters should not interrupt the people that are doing it 
and start just searching, you know, like the internet's global now, have a look online, find somebody living what you would love to live and learn from them. Go to the people with results, not the people just talking about it. Cause there's a lot of people that are good at sales that are good at, you know, telling you what to do, but actually look at what their life demonstrates and go for the people with the results because that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I made is I got sold by people who didn't, weren't living it and were trying to teach me, you know? And so the best thing I learned was look for people that are doing it, that have done it because they know through experience, um, the best advice and yeah, keep dreaming. And that is a perfect way to end this podcast. Now, if someone wanted to connect with you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as Renee E. Ferris. So Renee spelled R-E-N-A-E with another E, Ferris. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, yeah, if you resonate with my story or if you're, you know, I, I put myself as like a life and business strategist. So if you're ever interested in just making your dreams a reality, that's what I do now. I help people make that possible with mindset, water and lifestyle business. So give me a message, connect with me on Instagram and I look forward to connecting and helping you create an extraordinary life. Renee Ferris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Tanea, for having me. You've just listened to another Network R production.